Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. As we continue to look at this book, uh, just a couple things though before we um, get into the text. Uh, this morning was a wonderful morning, tremendous morning, I thought, in a time of worship and reflection and emphasis for us as a people. Um, just a couple of notes about uh, things from this morning. One, some of you have asked me if we counted all of the deacon ballots. Well, uh, our deacon committee did complete their counting this afternoon right before the service, and uh, they have the names, and what they're going to do, we feel like it's the best thing to do, is that they will contact all of those individuals this week just as a, a sign of courtesy to all of them before we actually announce their names, okay? But you can rest rest easy. They're okay people. All right. As a matter of fact, when I looked at all 20, I thought we were in pretty good shape. And I'm thankful that we have such a pool of men that we can select. And there could have been more on there that God has uh, blessed and, and given a servant's heart. So I'm very thankful for that. Also, obviously this morning was our March for missions. And it was that emphasis we had upon international missions and uh, Lottie Moon. And as Jason said earlier, I, I think he did. I couldn't get over that initial comment he made. Um, but I think he moved in to say that John King was over at St. Rest tonight. Uh, he had taken Bob and Nancy over there. We felt like that was another way in which we could partner with them. So we called to see if uh, they would like for them to come out and speak, and they did. So John escorted them out there this evening and uh, had a great time. Wonderful, wonderful folks, Bob and Nancy. I, I ate lunch with them today and the lunch lasted to almost three o'clock I think um, not because of what I was eating but just the fellowship of the moment so great great people uh, and our march for missions uh, brother Dwight just handed me the tally that he has this morning we collected fifty seven thousand four hundred and twenty four dollars and seventy five cents plus some uncounted coins all right uh, and so, Brother Dwight, um, in addition to what people have given throughout the year, I think I saw this week we had given a little bit throughout the year, we're about halfway there, about halfway toward our goal, which is awesome, right? And as I always remind you, the only reason we can give is because he's given to us. That's the only reason we can give back in this way. So never forget that. Never forget, we have what we have because he has blessed us, and we simply are faithful in our giving. So before the end of the month, uh, hopefully we can reach that 125 mark. Why do you set goals? I'll never forget why Bobby Welch told uh, his church that they set goals. It is so that just like any high jumper with his goal, you will try to jump higher and higher. As the bar is moved, you will keep jumping higher. That is the reason to have a goal, not to reach a goal in and of itself, but to make you go farther and achieve more. So never forget that. 125,000, we can do that as God's people. Acts chapter 8 again, verse 26 through 40. I love sincere people. I love people that are just genuine and they're committed to what they believe. I, I love people that are simply authentic. You know, you, you are around this world in which you see individuals every day that live in a state of pretense. I mean, every day 
it seems like there are parades of deception. And it's nice to find somebody that is sincere, somebody that is real, somebody that is genuine. But sincerity in itself is not pleasing to God. Sincerity in itself does not result in salvation. You know, you can be sincere about something and you can still be sincerely wrong, right? Come on, LSU fans. You can be sincere and you can still be wrong. And I think as we look at this passage tonight, we can see this exemplified for us in these verses. And somehow it ought to speak to us, even as we talk about missions this month, we should talk about how we have to make sure that there is substance, truthful substance involved in that sincerity. I want you to see this in verse 26. As Dr. Luke writes, he says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I? Unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized verse 38 so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him now when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord caught philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing it's a beautiful story of this ethiopian eunuch coming to know christ a beautiful story that dr luke provides for us here to show us the power of the spirit And to show us the necessity of a witness giving of Christ. I want you to see that as you look through this passage, that this Ethiopian eunuch is very sincere. he, He is the picture of sincerity. I mean, when you look at him, you'll notice that he is sincere in his belief in God. He's sincere in his religious efforts. He is sincere even in his reading of the scripture. Now, it tells us of this Ethiopian eunuch that he has gone up to Jerusalem to worship. He believes in God. Obviously, he has this affinity for Judaism. 
he is what I would call a God-fearer. Later on in Acts chapter 10, you'll see Cornelius. He'll be identified as a God-fearer. In other words, he, he has accepted the God of Israel. He's accepted Yahweh. But yet he has not come into the full fellowship of Judaism. Coming into the full fellowship, <laughs> coming into the full fellowship required you to agree to all of the traditions and go through all of the ceremonies that made you a Jew. And the Ethiopian eunuch, by very definition, could not go through all of the things required to become a Jew. And instead, he was a God-fearer. He believed in God. He even believed in the God of Israel. He believed in Yahweh. That is the reason he came to Jerusalem. And yet, at this point, that is not sufficient enough to experience salvation. If it were sufficient enough, Philip would have never been guided by the Spirit to give such a witness to the man. If he was fine, if he was good, he would never have had to worry about accepting Christ. But he was incomplete in his knowledge. He was incomplete in his lifestyle. He was incomplete in the truth that was before him. He knew God. He knew of God. He, he believed in God, and he did it sincerely. And yet there was still need for salvation. You know, sometimes I think even we in our churches can allow this, can allow this pluralism, can allow um, this relativism to somehow creep into our pews and make us forget that everybody stands in the need of Christ. Now, I am thankful. I am thankful that I'm part of a church that still believes in the exclusive work of Jesus Christ for salvation in our lives. I am thankful I'm part of that. But you do know we're being affected, right? I mean, the culture itself the things that we're seeing on television, the things that we see projected, constantly they are bombarding us. And believe it or not, they are affecting us. I would say to you that if we were to do a survey, I'm not going to do one because I don't like doing surveys in churches. Usually I don't like the result of them probably, like get rid of the preacher. We're not doing that here in this place. But let's say if we do a survey and if everybody would be honest, there would be a percentage of individuals here, even here, among very solid people, there would be a, still a percentage of people that say, hey, if, they, if a person believes in God, they're okay. As long as they believe in a God, or they believe in God, as long as they do that, they are fine. Because what's right for them may not be right for me, but as long as they do their thing and they have found their truth, it's okay. And, it, and they're so sincere about it. I mean, how, how could God hold them accountable for something they are so sincere about? As I said a moment ago, you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. 
I can have a blind allegiance to something. And I can be commended for my allegiance. And yet in the end, if it leads to my destruction, it was not worthwhile. But Dr. Reggie, I mean, there are so many people. There are people that are, um, that are in the wilderness of Africa. You ever hear this question? Get it? There are those people that are there and they've not necessarily heard. There, there hasn't been this Bob that's shown up to preach the gospel to them. I mean, they believe in a God. They believe in some kind of system. How could God condemn them? Just the way he condemned every one of us in this place through our sin. Don't forget that every one of us stood condemned. Every one of us. And yet it was through the marvelous grace and work of God that somebody somewhere shared the gospel with us and we responded. It's not good enough. If it had been, why in the world would God have launched such a missionary effort as he did in the book of Acts? If everybody's just good, believing in something and believing in a God, why would he even bother with an Ethiopian eunuch? He was sincere in his belief in God. He was sincere in his religious efforts. Notice here he is, this Ethiopian eunuch. And when we, when we state this person, the Ethiopian eunuch, we're not talking about the Ethiopia of today. We're talking of an area of, in the Old Testament, sometimes we call it Cush or Nubia. There, it, it's, it's there in that African continent, certainly, but not, not in modern-day Ethiopia. It's, it, it's here, there in the North Africa area. But it would still be kind of a long way to travel to Jerusalem to worship, wouldn't it? Hey, yeah. Come on. I mean, how many of you, uh, you moved to Monroe, how many of you coming back to Temple? You're not going to do that, but I'm just, I mean, we don't even like to travel 30 minutes to a church and here he is going to Jerusalem to worship. He is very sincere. I mean, he is dedicated. He is determined in his religious practices. He doesn't just believe in God. He is practicing what he believes. He goes up to Jerusalem. I mean, you can't stop. Can you imagine that journey? No kind of air condition on the chariot, I would imagine. I mean, it could have been loaded out, but it's probably not still the comfort that we would be accustomed to. And he travels all that point. Can we give him some kind of credit for his efforts? Well, I may appreciate his efforts. His efforts, however sincere they are, are not enough for salvation. Still not enough. Let's bring it home a little bit. But Brother Reggie, I, I go to church every Sunday. 
I, I mean, I'm not just a Sunday morning guy, person. I'm a Sunday nighter. That's an elite group of us, right? It really is. Look around here. Think about this morning. We had all the response. It was wonderful. We also, let's see, I don't know. I hadn't done the count. Loy has multiplied by 1.5. I don't know what we've got here tonight, but um, 180. So we had about 800 decisions probably, something like that. 800 decided not to come back again tonight, right? So the decisions were there. So here we are Sunday night. I go on Sunday night. I'm part of the elite group. I go on Wednesday night. I pray for people. I do all these things. I'm very sincere about it. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to pretense. I'm just, I'm very determined in my effort. That's wonderful, but it is not enough for salvation. Yes, I believe in good works. But I work because I'm saved. I do not work in order to be saved. We can be sincere and there can be good people living all around us. I've never said, I've never said that people are as bad as they could be. There are some people that do some good things in this world the way we would imagine good things. I've never said they're they're as bad as they could be, but I, I will say that people without Christ, they are as bad off as they could be. They may not perform all of those evil acts that we're thinking. Not everybody's a Hitler or a Haman. But if individuals have not come to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are equally condemned in their sins. No matter, no matter how sincere. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was sincere in his belief in God. He was sincere in his religious efforts. He was sincere even in the reading of Scripture itself. We'll talk about how this takes place, but you'll see in verse 30, Philip heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. He hears him reading. I mean, come on. He's reading from the scripture. He's looking through it. He's sincerely, he's trying to grasp it. Sincerity is not salvation. The Ethiopian was not saved until the Spirit of God directs Philip and directs this whole event in such a way that the Ethiopian eunuch will respond to the message of Christ. So let me give you this kind of package this up for you tonight. The Ethiopian eunuch needed a divine initiative. He needed something to start this process. I love this set of verses partly because you see the spirit in total control. In verse 26, it was God's word. It was God speaking through his angel to Philip and saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. 
So he arose and went. Notice how God is taking the initiative here. God speaks to Philip, the deacon, the one who had been in Samaria, and he said to him, I need you to go down, uh, go down south to the road. Uh, just, just go down there. I need you to take care of some business. I, obviously here he had not totally explained to him everything. He just said, I need you to go. God took the initiative. Philip goes down. He comes down, and it just so happens. See, those of you who've been with me on Wednesday night for the Esther study, the sovereignty of God stuff is for real. The way God works in his own way, I mean, this is awesome. He, he comes down, and it just so happens while he's there on this road, this Ethiopian eunuch comes by on the chariot. And there's a divine initiative. God has initiated this whole process, huh? And God is bringing salvation. But we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because God is the one who takes the first step in salvation. He does. In the great story itself of salvation. I mean, here we were as individuals going on in our own desires and what did God do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was God the Father looking down at us and saying, you know what, I'm going to take an initiative. They can't do this by themselves. They can't reach up to heaven, but what I'm going to do is reach down to them. And he sent his one and only son. He took the initiative with us. And if he took the initiative in the grand scheme of salvation, we understand he also takes the initiative within us. Now listen very clearly tonight. I hope I can communicate this as well as possible to you. But I do not believe, based upon what I see in Scripture, that we simply, we simply decide, hey, we're going to follow Christ today. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe in choice. I'm not a, oh, some of you looking, you're trying to hang the big C word on me right now. I see you. You're trying to make me a Calvinist right here in this place. I'm not taking away our response. I believe we have a true, authentic response. Yes, I do. What I am saying to you, though, is that God has to work in us first. The Holy Spirit has to take an initiative within us to break us and to show us our sin. You remember that day in your life? Do you remember? It was a revival service. Or it was vacation Bible school. Or maybe it was your friend at college talking to you about Christ. For me, it was a Sunday night. Sitting there in Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church watching a baptism. And I'd been in that church for years. I was about 12 years old, and I had been there every time the door opened. You know what I'm talking about? I was one of those families where, you know, mama was going to take us to church, and if I said I was sick, she would say, prove it. You would prove it, and she'd say, aren't you feeling better? Let's go to church now. 
And I was there that Sunday night, and I'd heard the message many, many times, and yet I saw a baptism. When I saw a baptism of somebody go under the water and come back up, it was like all of a sudden, in my mind, I understood the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that he died and rose again for me. And I can't tell you what happened besides the Holy Spirit just working in my life that night and taking the initiative and going home. I didn't walk right down that night. I went home. And it was as though something was continuing to work in me. I could not sleep. Because God took the initiative. And here God takes the initiative with the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he, he sends Philip there at the right moment, at the right time. Because... He needed not only a divine initiative, he needed a divine insight. So Philip comes down. The spirit still guiding and leading says to him, hey, go near and overtake this chariot. He must have been in athletic form like your pastor so that he could, I don't know, after walking Tremont yesterday, I'm not sure I'm in very good athletic form. But, he overtakes it. Idea here is probably more of a wagon-like is the way it's expressed by different commentators. And here's the Ethiopian eunuch sitting there reading and his entourage with him. Because remember, he's a man of, pers- he's a man of influence. He's uh, kind of like a minister of finance for Candace, which Candace would... That term was used of the Ethiopian queens, kind of like Caesar was used of the rulers of Rome. So just a a queen, a Candace. So he had his entourage, and here they are, and he's reading, and Philip goes, and he overtakes, and he's kind of running or jogging right by the chariot, and he hears him reading. And he just so happens to be reading from Isaiah 53. just so happens and he's reading it and he's doing it sincerely but he really needs some divine insight right because philip looks at him and says hey uh do you understand what you're reading and the ethiopian eunuch says hey how in the world do you think i can unless i got somebody i need a preacher and philip says uh hey uh how, how about how about us talking about this and and uh Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, well, just get on up in here and let's, let's discuss this. Just so happens, just so happens that he is speaking of a messianic passage, the suffering servant passage, the passage he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away and he and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, who, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself as a prophet? Is he talking about somebody else? I mean, the Jewish people, the rabbis, <clears throat> some of them even to this day believe the suffering servant passages refer simply to the nation of Israel, the suffering servant, the nation itself. And he says, I, what, what do you think it's? speaking about i I just need some divine insight i I need something here well 
I love the way verse 35 places Philip's response. It says, and Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to them, to him. He just preached Jesus. Pretty good subject. It's a subject that never fails. Billy Graham had finished his one of his crusades one time. He had come in, and he had not seen many results. It was early on in his ministry. And he had not seen many results. He was rather devastated. He was talking to his staff. One of the men who had worked with him for many years, up to that point at least, simply responded and said, Well, Billy, there was one thing about your message. And he said, What are you talking about? He said, This is one thing that might have been lacking tonight. He said, Well, tell me. I want to know. He said, You didn't preach Jesus. And according to Billy Graham's own words, he said he would never make that mistake again. Because you see, it is in the power and the work of Jesus that people come to salvation. So he preached Jesus to him. Because Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Jesus had fulfilled. It said he started at this scripture. I don't know how long he went. Maybe 35 minutes, like a regular preacher would. But he started with that scripture and he went through showing him that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Maybe he had used some of the passages Peter had used. Maybe he had used some of the passages that Stephen had used. He simply used the scripture. Divine insight was given. And when we read the scripture, we need the spirit to give us divine insight. We need people. Yes, we need people. I need people to help me understand. And I needed someone to speak to me about the gospel of Christ. For how shall they hear if there is not a preacher? And my friends, when we talk about a preacher... We're talking about somebody that simply shares the gospel. We're not talking about a formal position. We're talking about people who are simply witnesses of Christ. That means any of us who are believers in him. How can they hear? I love to be able to sit and talk with folks like Bob who spoke this morning and speak to others to, to hear them talk about the desire and the yearning that so many have to hear the word and to learn the word and to see how it is applied to their lives. Doesn't that encourage you to? I mean to think of him talking about those workshops where he's teaching from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. No, I'm not getting any ideas about it, but 7 a.m. to 9 p.m of people who are just longing. Sometimes I think that even me, we as a a group of individuals here as believers in the United States, I think we have become so desensitized 
to the precious gift we have of his word. Of studying, of hearing it, and of applying it. And here, it was the power of the word as the right understanding of the word was given. That the Ethiopian eunuch came to salvation. Verse 36, as they went down the road, they came to some water. Just so happened there's some water. There's a heated baptistry on the site. Maybe not heated, but there's a baptistry on the side of the road. Just so happened in this place. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Some of your translations will have verse 37. Not in the original manuscripts doesn't seem to be. I, I don't think it's necessary to, to have him personally state that Christ is Lord here because I believe he stated that. I think he's already done that. I think it's inferred. I, nowhere in this passage should it be at least even insinuated <laughs> that baptism is a part of salvation. I, I don't think that's what it's telling us here. Remember, this is a descriptive a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive, descriptive, describing the events of what happens. And again, say to you, the only time in the book of Acts, the only time in the New Testament that the question, what must I do to be saved? The only time it is ever asked directly is in Acts chapter 16, which we'll get to in 2016. Acts chapter 16. And remember the reply? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The only time it is directly, I'm not saying that it doesn't tell us how to get saved in other passages. I'm just saying to you, they did not say, believe and be baptized and then you'll be saved. Rather here, baptism is an outward, an outward expression of the divine intervention that had occurred inwardly. Because, see, there was divine initiative. There was this divine insight. There was a divine intervention in which there was transformation that was publicly displayed through the baptism. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. It was... This moment where he identified with Christ and through that outward expression, he demonstrated what had happened inwardly in this divine intervention. Yes, I think it was immersion. That's for a later day, but immersion in which he demonstrated his faith. And it says he went on his way rejoicing. Because that's what a divine intervention, what true salvation will do in your life. The spirit had been in control even to the end. And he goes away rejoicing. You remember the day you were saved? You remember that day when you gave your heart to Christ and there was a true divine intervention? Nobody had to look at you and say, Hey, Reggie, you're supposed to be happy about this. Mm -mm. because when you're truly changed you experience the joy of that salvation and of Christ 
You see, he was sincere before, but now he's saved. And there's a whole lot of rejoicing that one can do when you move from sincerity to true salvation. Philip, he goes and he preaches to other areas the same message. Azotus, which is the Old Testament Ashdod, which was a Greek Hellenistic city, to Caesarea, a Greek Hellenistic city. Doesn't surprise you, right? Because Philip comes from a Hellenistic pedigree. God chooses him, takes him out to preach and speak. And he had spoken of Samaria now to the Ethiopian eunuch. And while Acts 10 has classically been the passage that speaks about God going to the Gentile, think about how this passage shows us how God grafts those from other nations into his family. Those who are undeserving under Jewish regulation and custom. Those who had fallen short. Now brought into the true complete family. And those of us in this place again. We stood totally incomplete. Totally sinful. And yet... Through divine initiative, through divine insight, there occurred a divine intervention. And we came to salvation. May we remember that. May we rejoice in it. And may we be faithful in taking that same gospel to the nations. For it is only through the name of Christ that individuals can come to such salvation. May we be obedient to his task. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day you've given us, how blessed we are. God, if there's someone here tonight, Lord, that's never experienced true salvation in their life, God, give them the liberty to come right from where they are and cry out to you and be saved. For those of us who are, give us a new dedication and commitment to follow you and to take your gospel to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight as we have this moment of reflection and invitation?